0: You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. Humans are resilient, and I think this is a time that we're all being tested in our patients, and we're all kind of being tested to trust what's unknown on the other side, which I remind myself all the time when new patients come in to see me, is that, like, they're scared. They don't know how this is going to play out. All they know right now is that they're hurting and they can't do what they want to do right?
1: And that's kind of how we all are right now, right? We're hurting and we can't do the things we want to do right now. That was Ashley Spites O'Neill. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. I'm your host, Marnie Sowell. Hope you all had a great weekend and your week is off to a fabulous start. I'm super excited to introduce you to today's guest, Ashley Spites O'Neill. She's an entrepreneur, a physical therapist, and the founder and owner of the Fit Collective in Washington, D.C. Ashley is renowned in the fitness industry, running world, and amongst athletes around the nation for her expertise in orthopedic and sports physical therapy with a proven track record for healing she is the pt of record for soul cycle dc and solid core dc ashley has experience working with a range of sports injuries of varying levels from professional and collegiate athletes to pediatrics she has special interest in injury prevention chronic pain syndromes competitive athletes, and the rehabilitation of the spine, shoulders, hips, and knees. On today's episode, Ashley and I talk about her path into physical therapy and entrepreneurship, pivoting her newly opened practice to telemedicine and virtual healing, the importance of community and group fitness. And Ashley also shares some tips and advice for fitness class goers and runners on a few key muscles we should all be strengthening for optimal movement, balance, and core. Get ready to be inspired and motivated. You can find today's guest, Ashley Spikes O'Neill of the Fit Collective on her website, fitcollective.com. That's P-H-Y-T collective.com and on social media on Instagram and Facebook. If you like what you hear, leave us a review. It's easy. Scroll through the Apple app on your phone, click on five stars, click on leave a review, and tell us what you love about the show. Before we get started, a quick word about our sponsors, Mad Ritual CBD. Today's episode is fueled by Mad Ritual CBD. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a really big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high-quality, CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm is off-the-charts amazing, and I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100-plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So, if you are sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women athletes and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website madritual.com and use the code Marnie on the move. Now on to the episode Tell me a little bit about your company and where it began. Did you just did you just launch like a couple years ago or this year? You know, yeah. So we, the Fit Collective, just opened in January. It has been something. Having a practice
0: has been something that I wanted to do most of my career, to be honest. But it really, I put it into the works early last year, and then we opened our doors. Uh, technically, the the doors to our physical space opened in February, but I've been treating under the Fit Collective since January. So we're right in downtown D.C., just like two blocks from the White House. And essentially what the concept is, it's it's an outpatient orthopedic and sports practice, physical therapy practice, but it's a, basically a co-working space for physical therapists and clinicians. So every physical therapist who works out of the space is their own thing and works for themselves, but we all work together so that we can still have time freedom in our
1: lives. You are a sought after, renowned amongst many top fitness founders, studios, instructors, as well as professional, recreational, and collegiate athletes. Where did your interest for healing and physical therapy begin?
0: I would say that it started in undergraduate, and I kind of fell into it, if I'm totally honest. Like a lot of Young people, you kind of go to college and you have no idea what you're going to major in, right? And you just start taking some classes and talking to mentors and friends and parents and, you know, anyone you can speak to. And I, at one point, I went to undergraduate at University of Virginia. And at one point I met with one of the advisors for the kinesiology department at uba and she gave me a few classes to take to see if i'd be interested in it and i started taking those classes and i just loved it it was the first time i think honestly maybe as an adult even as a kid that i really was excited to go to a class to learn just learning how our bodies moved and worked and why they can do the amazing things that they can do i'd always been an athlete growing up i played volleyball and i was a rower all of high school so the two things kind of merged really nicely together. And at UVA, so essentially when you study kinesiology at UVA, and I think this is normal for a lot of colleges, but they make you do a certain number of basically practical hours in a setting that relates to the field. So for kinesiology, you could go to essentially observe or help in a physical therapy office, you could work in the athletic trainer's office, you could work for a physician whatever you wanted to do, because you basically had to go to grad school when you finished the major. And they wanted to make sure you knew what you wanted to do. And I personally just enjoyed being in the physical therapist office more than anything that I experienced.
1: Interesting. And so now you mentioned that you had just opened in January. How are you managing in the current economic climate and health climate?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really tough we're fortunate and unfortunate just like a lot of businesses in certain ways with this climate right now you know right now we were scaling up and so we're really bummed to lose this time of like scaling up um but everyone's in the same position so we just have to take it for what it is But what we're really shifting to trying to do is more telehealth um you know with working with patients who are super high level i always try to foster you know, I'm always there for them, but I also always try to foster independence. So this has actually been a really great time to have patients, to work with patients to be like, hey, what can I do to take care of my body? That's beyond like Ashley's hands and Ashley's grinding bills, if that makes sense.
1: It's like one of the core things that goes with being a physical therapist is trying to not have people rely on your hands, but getting them to be able to do exercises on their own as well.
0: Exactly, exactly. And so this, we're actually being forced into, you know, patients who maybe were a little bit more reliant on my hands and or maybe afraid to jump from the nest a bit. Like we're being forced to jump from the nest, right? So... I'm doing a lot of programming for patients over email, doing a lot of phone calls from virtual visits. I think it's challenging a lot of physical therapists who work specifically in outpatient to prove that we are a lot more than just our hands to everyone.
1: Yeah. And so you are, so you're doing tele telehealth.
0: Yeah, I am right now. Uh, that's what we've shifted to not every patient I would say is using it right now. I mean, everyone, like, you know, everyone's just really stressed, right? So I think a lot of aches and pains right now are kind of put on the back burner. I think we'll see a really big influx as we get to the other side of this with everyone doing new routines at home, running more or doing, you know, weightlifting at home more, whatever that be. But I am doing telehealth and right now for fit, what we're doing it is we're doing it complimentary just for the time being because everyone's just kind of stuck in this tough position.
1: Yeah. And now I mean you with everybody exercising at home not in a studio with an instructor even if they are following instructors on Zoom or whatever platform people are using to teach digital workouts are you feeling like people need to learn more of an awareness how to move their body because they're not really being supervised in person and are there is there anything you might advise like listeners who are doing workouts at home to think about as they're doing all these Taking all these classes,
0: so yeah, it is one of those times. I actually, you know, practicing our social distancing and being in the appropriate space. I actually just did a um, couple pieces with Solid Core about like coming back to the foundation of movements since since a lot of clients are no longer in front of their instructors. And just like how do you hold a good plank? Things like that. So I do think you know it's, it's really interesting because I think on one in one sense it can be good because. people and patients can kind of come back and take things at their own speed when they're doing these things over Zoom or watching, um, you know, instagram live right but then like you said the other side of it is that like there's no one watching them giving them like immediate feedback so it, it's challenging and also because things are new so even if you're a favorite instructor from whatever fitness studio you love to go to is teaching a class it's probably a slightly different workout than what you were used to doing even if it's based off of the principles of the studio that they work in if that makes sense yeah no completely um, and so you know the biggest things that I worry about for people are just making sure that we're you're still being really smart about it in the sense of like not forgetting all of the principles and values that you put into your training and your workouts when we are under quarantine. So things like, okay, I'm never going to jump 200% in a week, right? Or like, I'm going to take a rest day. I think those are the things that get quickly forgotten when we're in these unusual circumstances that I've found myself constantly reminding patients of. And they're like, oh, I've been running three miles and my knee hurts. I'm like, hey, well, when's the last time you ran three miles? They're like, oh, I don't know.
1: And I'm like, right. Like people are suddenly Like (laughs) like starting to run. You know, I actually had to stop myself the other day because I was training for actually a marathon in April and I was supposed to run my 18-mile, you know, long distance. And it was right before everything was officially shut down, but a lot of things were shut down. And I was I knew that my race was going to be canceled, but it wasn't canceled yet. It was the New Jersey Marathon. And I was like, you know, I probably, you know, should not do this because I don't have to. And it's a lot of miles. So, you know, maybe I'll just do 10, and maybe that'll just, like, be my long distance for... The next few weeks, because my race is going to be canceled and there's no need to put that kind of tax on your body. Right. That was one thought that happened. And then the other thing that happened, though, in the other direction was I started to get nervous. I'm never going to be able to run outside again. And so then I was running every day.
0: (laughs) But it's, it's amazing because, like, we, I mean, I think we all in some form of this are having this happen in our headspace, right, of like, okay, let me have this, like, very rational thought of, like, what am I training for in this moment right now? Let me just go out and exercise today versus also like, wait,
1: what if I can never do this again?
0: <laughs> like, I need to soak it all in right now.
1: Right, and um, that's how people get injured. <laughs> and I'm yeah, one exactly. of those people. I, I have to make sure that I am bringing an awareness to what I'm doing and not overtraining or – you know, doing some exercise dance class where I'm gonna like trip and bang into my right. furniture. <laughs> and it's so, it's funny that like, we
0: talk about it, but half of my job is honestly reminding patients of these common sense things or kind of laying it out to them in a way that makes it common sense to them, right? That they're like, okay, like me, is really, really hard, I want to be better. I'm like, okay, hey, what well, time your week? What did you do? What was your day like? Oh, you walked 1,500 steps, like, okay, or not 1,500, sorry, 15,000 steps, like, had you gone that far before? And then you also took Soul Cycle. Like, like it's okay your knee hurts. There's a reason it hurts you did more activity. And people are like, oh, okay. You know, it's that you can work through like you just did about your runs. <laughs> um, but that's, that's a lot of our job is, is just helping you guys figure that out.
1: You mentioned that you work with a lot of elite and professional athletes. I mean, how are people coping right now, would you say? Like some of your clients.
0: I think... Right now, there's still a lot of just like optimism, push through, which is good. Like push through uh, and a lot of home exercising. I guess I would say I'm most nervous about a little overtraining happening at home just because also we're so restricted in what we can do. But I think people really just miss each other though. I mean, there's so much community that comes into whether it's like an elite professional athlete where you like run with your teammates Work out with your teammates, work out with your coaches, or even just like when you're a person who likes to do boutique fitness and you work out six to seven times a week. There's so much community that comes with that. And the biggest thing that I'm hearing over and over again is that everyone just kind of misses each other and misses training together.
1: The core of group fitness is being together. So I could see people... Feeling a little bit like distance from their community. Yeah. And it's in these kinds of times that you want to be with your community. In addition to all the athletes that you work with, you're also the resident physical therapist for Soul Cycle and work with Solid Core. So, what does that mean?
0: Yeah, so two different things. So for, with SoulCycle, SoulCycle, what they do is, re- which is really cool is I'm their physical therapist for DC. So there's a woman in New York in Corinne who does all their PT in New York. And there's a bunch of PTs all over the country who SoulCycle has hired as contractors to treat their instructors. And what's really cool about SoulCycle is that that's a benefit, like a health and wellness benefit that they offer their instructors. So essentially, instead of having to go through their health insurance, whatever else, instructors can come to me during the week for either maintenance or if something is injured um, to get care from me and SoulCycle takes care of it for them. With SolidCore, I have more of a community partnership. I would say that actually with working with SolidCore, that was one of the first ways I kind of crept into this boutique fitness world. is that I'm also a very loyal client of SolidCore. And so I took a bunch of classes, you know, injuries creep up, got to know a lot of people. People would come in and see me, they would get better, they would refer their friends and that's kind of how this grew exponentially and i treat a ton of their coaches and employees at at headquarters and things like that
1: i totally get that i mean fitness instructors spend so much time in their classrooms demoing exercises and doing all the moves that they're teaching i'm sure they come in with a ton of overuse injuries nothing to do with the actual workouts but just from the repetitive movement
0: yeah Absolutely, exactly. Whenever you do something that is so repetitive, there's always that risk of overuse. Especially, I mean, I always tell my soul instructors, that, like you guys are professional athletes. You know, you, you're on the bike like 14 to 20 hours a week if you're full time over there. You know, so like you got to take care of your body like that. And and they do. They they have to because that's how they train. But what's also cool about working with all these fitness instructors is that they all know so much about the human body and movement and. Like all of us in our fields, you are like a little bit limited, right? Like you see what you've been taught and what you learn. And they're such an asset to the community because their clients will be like, hey, so and so, like, I take your classes and my shoulder really hurts when I do this. And a lot of fitness instructors are a little bit limited in telling them how to fix that, right? Because that's not their training. Right. And so there's been this really cool collaboration that's happened over the years with me and the fitness instructors where they reach out to me like, hey, Ashley, I have this client X, Y, and Z is going on, anything I should tell them or anything I can do in class for them to make it a little bit easier on them or to help them to get better because they really care about their clientele. And the feedback that I've gotten from them really is that they haven't found that resources consistently there for them.
1: I could see that. I feel like as more and more fitness instructors are entrepreneurial, even if they're working for a big studio brand, they're still building their business. They are looking to build their resources. And as their community grows, they're looking to have a collective of exactly what you just said, which is being able to help their clients or the class goers. Fitness instructors are like, you know, they're the people that everyone is looking to for advice and insight. 100%
0: bears such role models in our community in in such a great way. For a lot of people, especially if you're like a generally just like healthy human being, like you don't go to the doctor a lot. You don't go to see healthcare providers a lot. So the person who knows most about your body is your fitness instructor, right? So so it's very natural that the community would be like, hey, I have this ache or pain. Like, what do you think? And most of my instructors who are friends, if I'm in class, they'll be like, "Go talk to Ashley. She's over there. Like, give her a second to breathe after class is over." But she can probably answer your question for you, you know. And it's and it's great. It's just great for community building.
1: So, talk to me a little bit about how you work with runners and what you do in your run assessment at your studio.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we have so many runners. We have a lot of high-level runners here as well. And so the biggest thing that I do when runners come in is, first of all, I do just take them through a general, like, physical systems exam. So I will have, I'll look at their range of motion, um, both active and passive. I'll look at their strength. I'll look at how they're walking. I'll look at their balance and a variety of other things. I'll look at how things are moving together. And then I'll also watch them run. So that whole process usually takes about an hour. A lot of times when I first see a runner, so my first encounter, we're actually focusing a lot less on the running form component, but we're actually focusing on what I found in that physical exam where there are deficits. And the biggest, this is not for every runner, but when when a runner comes in front of me, excuse me the most common things that I usually see are something going on with hip strength, something going on with balance and proprioception sometimes you know I will get these elite runners and I'll have them stand on one foot with their eyes closed and they can't do it for more than three seconds and I'm like whoa <laughs>
1: well that makes me feel a lot better <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's really yeah. common yeah and I, I explained to them it's important that we train it because like if you're running especially if you're someone who does trail running if you're running you're not looking at your feet when you're running you shouldn't be right right uh, and so if your body can't tell you where things are in space that is going to affect your running form no matter what like we've got to train that balance and that proprioception so I'm usually starting there and then once we get them a good foundation with whatever deficits I found then we might go into fine-tuning some running form stuff but a lot of my elite runners though too they already have a running coach who's done some running form stuff with them right which is why I find that I'm kind of more fine-tuning the strength or the balance or some mobility component that's going on that might not show up Do you have like a
1: go-to set of exercises that you recommend? I know it's a generalization, but every runner should be doing like X, Y, Z.
0: There's probably not a go-to set of like specific exercises, but like if there were muscles that I had to pick (laughs) to be strong in runners. Yes, 100%. So runners need to be really strong through both their... Gluteus medius and their gluteus maximus. So those are the muscles that are on the le- like the outside of your hip and the back of your like hip. So like your butt muscles, basically. The ankle like balance and uh, strength is going to be really important. Like we were just talking about a little bit. Uh, the other thing that gets neglected for runners is like core stability stuff. Like I love for my runners a yeah, dead bug as an exercise. It's really simple. You could Google it. And I love actually making a lot of my athletes lie on a full foam roller, like a 36 inch foam roller lying on it from like head to tailbone so it's Mm -hmm. like straight down the spine and working on doing a dead bug where you just like put your hands towards the ceiling and you try to march so you lift up one leg then you put it back down and you lift up the other leg and put it back down it's really challenging on core work and it does mimic a bit how you're moving with running which is why I like that one a lot
1: on the foam roller
0: on the foam roller yeah interesting
1: okay Send me some photos. I can include them on like Instagram oh, or definitely. something. That would be great. That sounds like a great exercise to do. Yeah, that mimics running the dead bug on the, the dead foam bug on roller the foam roller. Yeah, okay. So you
0: think about it. It's like you know, it's a little tough to describe over the phone obviously we're not together. but if you think about like when you're running, you're if you're standing on one foot and then the other knee, Is coming up towards your trunk. Does that
1: make sense? Yes.
0: So that a dead bug kind of mimics that motion a bit for my runners and working on teaching your abs how to stabilize you while in that position. And that position is so repetitive for runners that is so important.
1: Yes. And what are some other things that you do? Suggest you know your athletes do clamshells or anything like that to build the glute med. Those are like a staple, right?
0: Staple clamshells. I'm really picky about clamshells. You have to be really, really cognizant that your abs are on and you're not letting your pelvis rock back and forth as you move your leg. That's the biggest thing I correct because like clamshells are like, you know, one of those exercises that you'll see like in Wonder's World all the time, right? Yeah. And, and I'll have athletes come in like, well, I've been doing a clamshell. I'm like, show me. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like you tried. I, I'm proud of you for trying, but like <laughs> you're not getting anything out of that right now. <laughs> That's a great exercise. But, like lateral walks, you know, even things like single leg squats, single leg step ups. All of those are really great for the glutes too.
1: And, and so are you seeing the same, like are you seeing the same kind of overuse injuries from fitness classes or from instructors, or it's very different than running?
0: Um, there, The injuries are a little bit different per sport. I mean, I actually really encourage clients and people that I work with to think about each of these boutique fitness studios as a sport if okay. that makes sense yeah and they all get injured doing anything right like you can get injured like walking up the stairs in your house
1: um, so yes i got injured videos. walking my dogs so i right, understand
0: exactly. I mean, most injuries happen from like very benign things so it's not that any of these studios are bad but there are certain things that i do see pop up more with different exercise studios and that's actually been one of the coolest things that i I think it's helped to build my practice is that so many patients, when they get hurt, they're so scared of going to see the the physician or the physical therapist because they don't want to be told that they can't exercise anymore. And something that brings so much comfort to a lot of the patients that I work with is they're like, Know because you do these exercises or you go to these classes, you know what we do in there. And I know that one, you can tell me how to modify, and that's what you're probably going to do first before you tell me that I can't go. And you also understand how important it is for me, even just to be in the room, which I think can get lost when you're a healthcare provider. Is that like we talked about earlier, community is so important. And when injury happens, you lose your community, right? Right. And so anything you can do to just get patients back in the room participating in a modified way helps so much with their healing process you know just like we know that there is a mental and psychological component to injury and to pain and to recovery right. and so just getting them back in the room can be so helpful to expedite their recovery you know like very smartly you have to be very strict about how you do that but you only can do that if you've been in the room yourself Right. In my opinion,
1: you know. Yes, I I completely agree with you. And I think also, you know, you touched upon something that is really important, especially for people who look to exercise and fitness as a way to get out of their head and to de-stress is when hearing that you can't do it anymore is so debilitating. And honestly, we all know people who have undergone major injuries that have come back. When you have a patient who has undergone some kind of severe physical trauma, but they are like super ambitious and have big physical goals, like how do you navigate that?
0: Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is usually... Making sure that they see the steps, right? So that you're not just saying to them, like, yeah, 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 in six months, we're going to let you do this. Yeah, yeah, in 10 months, we're going to let you do this. But letting them see, like, okay, I want to see that you can do A, B, and C before I would consider you getting to this next level of rehab. Does that make sense? Yeah. So making it really objective to them, being like, hey, look, if you can't, you know, do a single leg, if you can't step up a stair, a single leg, why would I ever let you run? Right? Right can't support yourself in a push-up I'd let you go back to planking or, you know, throwing a baseball or whatever else there might be. But I find that when someone is really high level and has really high level goals, you have to, for them to be successful and for you to be successful as a clinician, you have to make it very objective as to what benchmarks they need to meet. And sometimes it's hard to do that. There are like injuries that we have a lot of research on, very obvious. Like, you know, when we rehab an ACL, it's been researched so much, right? That we know exactly what these benchmarks should look like at certain levels. But then there's injuries that are like more unique and you have to really use your clinical judgment. And you also have to really get to know this athlete to make sure that they're not going to overdo it if you... Basically, I'll say, quote, unquote, give a mouse a cookie, if that makes sense, which is something that's very individual.
1: Right. From all of that, like, how do you get them back on the path to running? Like, once they start running, do you still work with them or whatever there's, or if it's a fitness class, like, are you still working with them through all of this?
0: Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I mean, they're, if we want to take, like, running as an example, the first time we, I let a, set a patient loose <laughs> to go back to running after a big injury, we usually do it together in the clinic on the treadmill, unless there, uh, there's a circumstance that doesn't allow. And usually what I'll have patients do, I like to do a progression of intervals. So you'll do two minutes running, one minute walking. And the first time that we do that, the longest we'll go for is 10 minutes total. So essentially like three intervals of running for two minutes. And then essentially, over the course of the next month, we'll work on increasing that very, very strategically um, until they end up getting to about half an hour of doing intervals, if that makes sense. Mm And then once they get to half an hour of doing intervals, I let them begin to run without having to take breaks to walk. But I tell them the first time they do that, they're not allowed to exceed the mileage that they did when we were doing intervals for 30 minutes.
1: Do you have any stories, you know, about patients who've come to you with an injury where mentally they thought they were never going to be able to do what they loved again, and now they're doing it even better? A hundred
0: percent. I mean, there are honestly, there are so many stories like that because we're, people tend to be really resilient. And with the right environment, and I would say coaching and headspace and rehab, you can get back to doing most anything. Of course, are there exceptions to that rule? Like, yeah. But yeah, 100%. I mean, one story that I I cannot, you know, touch on all the details of it, but it is very public that I can speak on is years ago, I think it was 2017, whenever the congressional baseball shootings were. Um, I have I had a patient who we were featured in the, he was featured in the New York Times for his injuries and his comeback, basically, after that. And so here's someone who's really like, you know, was, on the verge of losing their life and now it's back to playing like ice hockey and baseball and, and all of these things
1: and he was your patient
0: yeah he was my patient yeah his name is matt that i can only speak on that component because it's published out there in the new york times in 2017 that's a, just one example though i've been a physical therapist for 10 years like he's not an exception to the rule if that makes sense yeah if people have these like really horrific injuries and We can get them back to doing the things they love. Are there times we have to modify the things they love a little bit? Sure, you know, but like, can we get them back to participating? Absolutely. The hardest thing for patients, though is that it takes so much time and we're all impatient, you know, even the most patient human beings, like when you're hurting and when you're being kept back from what you want to be doing, like two weeks feels like a year, a month feels like five.
1: Yeah. Time is not flying by.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so it does take time and that I think becomes really challenging for people.
1: And now, are you feeling a little bit, maybe people could look to this example and mindset of sports and athleticism in today's culture of the coronavirus and our economy and our health and seeing beyond where we are and the bigger picture and adapting?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we humans are resilient. And I think this is a time that we're all being tested in our patients and we're all kind of being tested to trust what's unknown on the other side, which I remind myself all the time when new patients come in to see me is that like, they're scared. They don't know how this is going to play out. All they know right now is that they're hurting and they can't do what they want to do.
1: Right. Right. And that's
0: kind of how we all are right now, right? We're hurting and we can't do the things we want to do right now. But But there is another side of it. And if is going to take longer than we want it to, but you know, there's, there needs to be a cautious optimism, right. And kind of just like trusting the process and and how we get step-by-step through this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's great. What is something that you're learning right now, like a key learning from having a new business, being a physical therapist and living through this sort of situation that you're going to take. That's like a positive takeaway. Like where's the opportunity what positive lesson are you taking from this whole experience and going to be keeping as part of your practice moving forward?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, oh gosh, that's a really good question.
1: As a physical therapist, like I'm sure that you are seeing like digital content as a tool for you. And like the whole telemedicine thing is huge.
0: Oh, absolutely. And we're all really being pushed right now to find ways to do telemedicine and as a physical therapist, like we like to use our hands, right? So we, I feel like I am being really challenged to learn, to improve my communication with my patients, if that makes sense, because I don't have my hands to, because we use our hands to communicate. Like we exercise, I will put my hand on your shoulder blade to cue to correct your form, right? So I'm now being forced to improve my verbal communication with patients to correct things over telehealth, if that makes sense, because we, I don't, I basically, you know, my hands can't be there to tell them how to correct an exercise or, or how to correct their form. And then the other thing is I think that I've been forced to, to kind of learn and to do a bit more of in the past week is you alluded to with just making, doing kind of more generalized digital marketing things. You know, I pride myself on making sure that every treatment plan and every patient is treated like an individual based off of what is standard for best practice. You know what I mean? But I also look at them and what their goals are and like what, what I need to do to address them specifically. But also like you asked me your question earlier, like what are some like what are the general exercises? What are the five things you would have runners do, or what, what is this? But I, I'm learning to kind of make these things to, to create some of this content, right? That's a little bit more broad for the general population and to step out of my comfort zone of like I'm really gonna hone this person today on how I'm going to do this. Um, which is, it's, it's interesting. It's not like right or wrong. It's just different yeah. from what
1: I do from my day to day. Right. I mean, um, you're very hands-on literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I was wondering, cause I'm supposed to do a session with my physical therapist. I'm just wondering like, how would, you know, you can't do trigger point therapy or any of those things. So like, you know, what are the modalities that you feel like you're going to be using moving forward for the next few weeks?
0: Yeah, I mean, even just teaching patients like how to do their own soft tissue work sometimes, right? And just like mimicking that, teaching them to get a little bit creative um, with how they do exercises or like how they use their foam roller or a tennis ball or whatever they have around the house. And then also just really, really reinforcing that exercises also like should. In a PT standpoint, and also in general, but it really should make you feel better, right? So kind of that assessment of like, I watched you move, and when you bent over, it hurt. Now let's do an exercise, and let me reassess how you're moving afterwards. And patients are like, oh, wow, that feels better. And I'm like, okay, good. So that's something that we're going to have you do at home that you can do to make yourself feel better while I can put my hands on you.
1: That's super helpful.
0: Absolutely. And that's what, you know, I'm doing. And I think a lot of physical therapists are doing in the clinic every day Like when we give patients their home exercise program. Yeah. But I think we all have to really be forced to help to show our patients the direct correlation with these things that we're assigning them.
1: Yeah. What can people use at home to mimic and do the exercises?
0: And there's so many ways to get creative with that. I mean, I had a patient told totally me that she was doing her like sideline shoulder rotation with a wine bottle you yeah. know i was like great that's probably like one or two pounds like awesome
1: <laughs> <laughs> totally so this is good stuff thank you so much good luck of with course, everything of
0: course you too
1: thanks again for tuning in to marnie on the move if you like what you hear, leave us a 5-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website marnieonthemove.com for more info on this episode. Links in the show notes and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter The Download to get updates, deals,